turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We have uh, been coming face to face with Jesus all summer, and uh, we have been looking at what happens when people in the Bible and people today come face to face with Jesus. We have three more sermons, three more sermons in our face to face with Jesus series, and uh, I hope it's been beneficial to you throughout this summer. We're going to be reading Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, but before we read, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for your uh, Son. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for your Word. Lord, we pray that in the midst of a world of many distractions, as Devin has, has already prayed, many temptations, many idols, many things to discourage us and distract us, to bring us down, to draw us down the various paths we pray, Lord, that now as we come to sit before and under and in front of your word, we pray that you would come by your spirit and feed us your word. We are a hungry people. We are a thirsty people. We long to hear from you, Lord. We recognize that the Bible is to us, for us, today. We pray that it is, as it is, it is read, as it is explained and, and taught, uh, you, would, you would come and overcome our sinfulness and our weakness and our blindnesses and help us to see Jesus. Help us to know Jesus better, or maybe for the first time, for having been here this morning. And we pray all of these things in His name. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is God's Word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. When those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, 
And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Have you ever asked yourself in in quiet moments, maybe when nobody is looking and nobody's hearing, If you're a Christian, is this really worth it? Is is being a Christian, is following Jesus Christ really worth it? You know, um, you, you look around and you see other people, they seem to be doing just fine. They seem to be content. They seem to be happy. They seem to be doing okay. Is this really worth it? You know, maybe in the quiet of your heart from time to time you doubt. Is this worth it? Maybe, you hear that little voice, maybe I'm going down the wrong path. If you do, you're normal. (laughs) It's okay. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may be asking the very same thing. Why would I? Why would it be worth it? You may be asking that openly. I don't really understand what a difference it would really make. Maybe it's all just a bunch of hocus pocus. The story that Jesus tells this week when Peter and the disciples come face to face with him is an answer to that very kind of question to those kinds of questions. Peter, at the end of the previous chapter, asks a question that people have been asking for 2,000 years. What's in this for me? (laughs) What does this mean to me? Peter very boldly says, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? Chapter 19, verse 27, And Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? We've left everything to follow you. What do we get? What do we get? You see, in this previous chapter, there's a couple of very well-known Accounts where Jesus speaks to the state and his relationship with the powerless. He says, let the little children come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The children, the small, the weak, the powerless. Let them come to me. And at the same time, he meets the rich young man 
And he sees this man's heart and he says, go sell everything and then come and follow me. You have the powerless, you have the powerful, you are powerful, you're influential, give it up. Give up what, all those things that are your idols and follow me. And Peter and the disciples are watching all of this and they're saying and they're thinking, where do we stand? Where do we fall? What does this mean for us? And Jesus answers Peter, straightforward in verse 28, chapter 19. He says, you know what you get for following me? You know what you get for leaving everything and following me? Jesus says, here it is. Here's the answer to this wonderful promise. You get eternal life. You get eternal life. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit in his glorious On his glorious throne, you you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life in the future. That's what's coming, eternal life. And he says in 1930, but Peter, and here it, here it is. He says, but Peter, there's something you've got to know. I heard your question, is this worth it? What do I get? You get eternal life. But Jesus goes on from there and says this. Peter, disciples, highlands, visitors, community, world, there's something you need to know. Chapter 1930, but many who are first will be last, and last first. That's 1930. And then 2016, he says something similar, although he reverses it. So the last will be first, and the first last. Jesus is saying, you know, everything you think you might know about having a relationship with me. Everything you think you might know about having a relationship with me is turned upside down by grace. Grace is the great reversal. Grace turns everything upside down. And so he tells this story to make us essentially make sure we have grace right. I've heard your question, Peter. Here's the answer. But let's make sure we understand grace. Let's make sure we get grace right. And he tells a story to tell us, to communicate to us, to convey to us what grace is isn't and what grace is, what grace isn't and what grace is. Grace. Now, we've talked about several Bible words through the, the weeks, like righteousness, that we just don't hear very often. Grace is one of those Bible words that we do hear between Sundays, right? Right? 
That is a word that we hear often, and it is often a misunderstood word, but it is used a lot. And commonly, we certainly hear it a lot on Sundays, but we also hear it a lot between Sundays in our conversations. Um, She swam through the water with effortless grace. We named our new daughter Grace. He graced the front page of the New York Times. She has all of the social graces. Well, I'm glad he graced us with his presence. Let's pause and say... Grace. If you have ever done any traveling, we don't do this around here. We don't do royalty. We don't do kings and queens and we don't do dukes and duchesses. We got rid of that a long time ago in America. But if you travel, you might have to refer to somebody as his grace, her grace, the Duke of Kent. We often use the word. One commentator says, I think correctly, when we try to grasp what the word means according to the Bible, grace is a terribly misunderstood word. Defining it succinctly is notoriously difficult. Some of the most detailed theology textbooks do not offer any concise definitions of the term. Um... Those of you who are ever exposed to seminary, you know who uh, Louis Burkhoff is. Louis Burkhoff is kind of the standard systematic, right, Dr. Hoffer? <laughs> okay, here's kind of a dry definition. Um, the unmerited operation of God on the heart of man. The unmerited operation of God on the heart of man. But there's some others that you have probably heard. Grace as an acronym. God's riches. At Christ's expense? Maybe you've heard that one. Or grace in three words. God's unmerited favor. We could go on. But Jesus, as he often does, throws us off, makes us think, communicates something maybe we haven't thought about, and it's this about grace that we see in this story very clearly. There is something that grace isn't. Grace isn't fair. Grace is not fair. Grace has nothing to do with fair. Now, does that upset you or bother you or rankle you a little bit? You'd be normal, again, because that's not what you've been taught your whole life. You've been taught your whole life to be fair. You've been taught your whole life to work hard. You've been taught your whole life to pursue a level playing field. And Jesus is communicating right here that grace is not fair. I remember my first, one of my first sort of between the eyes lessons in fairness. I was sitting at my desk, minding my own business at a ministry, (laughs) 
and it was in Texas, years ago, and some papers came across my desk that I was not supposed to see. I don't know, I still don't know to this day how they got there, but there they were, and I came into my desk, and there they were, and I was working through some things, and woo. I don't think I'm supposed to see this, but I did. And um, it was salaries. Ever had that experience? It It was my salary and other people's salaries. And there it was. And there was a new guy. who had comparable experience, but he was new to the ministry. And by golly, he's making as much money as me. I've been here for years. I've put in my time. I've been here a long time. He's new. What did I say to myself and what did I say to my wife? That's not fair. So, my boss was a good guy. He was a friend. I'm going to go in and, Cindy, I may not have a job by the end of the day, but I am going to meet with my boss. The master, the owner of the vineyard. (laughs) I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, that's not fair. And I did. And at the end of the day, I still had a job. He said, typical boss, you know, I'll check on that. And he was a very fair man. He came back and he said, I don't know what really happened. He said, oh, that was an oversight. Sorry. They adjusted it to where it was fair. We are raised by our parents to be fair. We're taught in our ministries or businesses or at home, whatever, to be fair. And here's Jesus saying, grace isn't fair. We're taught to to work hard, work hard, work hard. Um, I have to say it. This this is a time of year where there have been a number of wonderful little new additions to families that have come lately. Uh, Emma Fryant was born. And uh, if you you know Anna Fryant, she ministers to our high school uh, girls here in the church. She's not here today. She just had a baby. Emma, um, the the Mercer family just had another grandchild born in Hawaii. A couple of days ago, we just had our fourth Grandson, we have an infield. And Cindy, and, and this particular baby ugh, was born in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on an island in Hawaii. My son serves in the military. He's in Hawaii. So my wife is flying tomorrow. We'd appreciate your prayer. She's flying off to meet Tyler, fourth grandson. And one of the things she's taking with her is... Some things our daughter-in-law asked for. What did she ask for? She asked for some, some baby pictures of our son, Harrison. 
Can you find some baby pictures of our son Harrison? Now, when we took those pictures, we took those pictures back in the dark ages. You know, with the camera and you take the film and you get it developed and you bring it home and you put it in a box or a drawer in the attic and you lose it. It's a perfect system. You do not know how good you have it if you're not dealing with that. So what are we doing? We're, going, we're in the attic. It's hot. We're under the bed. We're in the drawers. We're looking for the shoe boxes. Yes, here it is. After two hours, a baby picture. But one of the things I noticed as we were going through all these pictures from back in the dark ages when the crust of the earth was cooling um, there were just one photo after another of my son Harrison playing baseball. We're a baseball family. And um, oh, all of the years fielding ground balls and running the bases and in the batting cages and working on the curveball, throwing it and hitting it. The hard work, year after year after year, all that came back, and it was just wonderful memories, but not so, we survived. Year after year after year after year of hard work. What did I say to Harrison? You don't, get, you don't practice, you're not going to get any better. You don't spend more time in the batting cage, you're not going to hit the curveball. Hard work, practice, fairness, hard work. Verse 10, now when those hired uh, first came, they thought, When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled. They grumbled at the master of the house. That's not fair. And what Jesus is telling us is that grace is counterintuitive. Grace is not what you might think. Grace turns things upside down. And when it comes to salvation, fairness is not going to help you. The gospel, the good news, has nothing to do, and if this rankles you, uh, has nothing to do with fairness. Praise God it doesn't. We do not get what we deserve. We do not get what we deserve. God doesn't give us fairness. He gives us grace. God does not give us fairness. He gives us grace. If we got what was fair because of our our sin and our fallenness. And again, Devin prayed that beautifully earlier in the service. If we get what we deserve, we are without hope. If we get fairness, we are without hope. So what is grace? It's not fair, praise God. And that's kind of an upside-down way of thinking when we think about the gospel. Grace is not fair. 
But then he goes on, Jesus gives us a picture of, of grace in the actions of the master. Now, there are, there are many people that have titled this story, The Workers in the Vineyard. It really, ought to, it really ought to be retitled, The Master of Grace. The master is the central character. Grace is the central focus. And if we look at what this master does, Jesus is describing himself. He's describing his ministry. He's calling on us to look at what the master does. Look at what the master does. Look at this picture of grace. First, he's just. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? He's not not breaking his word. He's not breaking his promises. He's not breaking any laws. He's just. But not only that, he's, he's not just just. He's generous. He's merciful. In the original context of the story, this master keeps going back every few hours because he sees that people are in need. And he's showing them mercy and he's showing them compassion. There's a man I've quoted before. His name is Kenneth Bailey. He spent years and years and years. He's a scholar of the Middle East. He spent years and years and years in the Middle East. He said, this is true today. You see it in the Middle East in villages today. Needy men showing up early, lining up, and just hoping for a job. Just hoping for help. Just hoping for something that would help them support their family. He says, this ancient custom survives to the present. I have observed it in a number of places in the Middle East. One of the most striking locations is just north of the Damascus Gate in East Jerusalem. In quieter, quieter days in the recent past, unemployed Palestinians gathered each morning at a spot on the major road. Employers would pull up in vans. As the vans approached, five to ten young men would rush out into the street and see if they could be employed. They would hope to be selected. He says, when I saw this, I would look the other way and pass because I couldn't bear seeing the humiliation of the men who were never hired or never given an opportunity. Quiet desperation was reflected in their faces. This master is just, he's compassionate, he's generous. But something also that that we have to see in the original context, he is sacrificial. Look, masters don't usually go back and hire workers. They send somebody else. They send a manager. They send a steward. He goes back. Every few hours, he goes and gets them. He chooses them. He keeps coming back in the heat of the day all day long until the evening. He keeps going back personally and choosing them. He keeps going back himself time and time again. He is sacrificial. He is serving He is going. He doesn't have to. And yet he does. 
great little article published just last month. Uh, I commend it to you. You can find it online. It's called Grace is Not a Thing. And it's by a guy named Jeremy uh, Treat. Uh, Treat. And he says, what, what is grace? What is grace? Uh, he says, I used to think of grace as a spiritual substance that God stores in piles behind his throne. And he dispenses them to his people below. In other words, grace is stuff that God gives us apart from himself. How wrong I was. Grace is not a thing. Grace is not stuff that God gives us apart from himself. He doesn't run out of it. And here it is. God gives us himself when we don't deserve him. God gives us himself when we don't deserve him. That is grace. Grace is a gift but God is not only the giver, He Himself is the gift. He Himself is the gift. God graces us with Himself when we don't deserve Him. What happens right after Jesus tells this story? You can read it this afternoon, but He enters into the final week of his life. He moves into the, 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 the physical and spiritual giving of himself to us. The verse immediately following the end of this story, verse 17, and as Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside on the way and said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised up on the third day. That's not fair. Is that fair to Jesus? No. Is it fair to us? No. It's grace. That's what grace looks like. It's not fair, but it is God giving himself through Christ to us when we don't deserve it. When we don't deserve him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me close with this. Another thing that I would uh, commend to you, it's a little short story written by one of my favorite Southern authors, Flannery O'Connor. And the, the title of this story, it's just a few pages long, the title of this story is Revelation. It's very appropriate. See if you recognize some of these folks. The central character is a woman named Ruby Turpin. And Ruby Turpin has to go to the doctor's office because her husband, Claude, has been kicked in the leg by a cow. 
So here they find themselves in the doctor's office, and they enter the doctor's office, small, small southern town. They enter the doctor's office, and what does Ruby do? She does what a lot of us do when we're in doctor's offices. She starts sizing everybody up. And she looks around at all the different people in the doctor's office, and she starts labeling them. She's a, a respected member of the, of the community, and she sits in the doctor's office, and she's, well, there's this child over here, and he's dirty. And he's putting his finger in his mouth. And there, there's this woman over here, and she's kind of rednecky. And there's, there's this older man over here, and he keeps nodding off, you know, he's going... And there's this young girl here, college girl, who's home from college, and she's reading this book. She's obviously kind of nerdy. She's reading this book called Human Development. I don't know what to think about her. But, but over here, here's somebody kind of like me. Here's somebody kind of like me. I, I can talk to somebody like this. And they start talking and talking about how good life is and how blessed they are and all that they have and all that uh, Jesus is, 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 has blessed them with. And, and Ruby at one point says this, if it's one thing, I'm grateful. When I think of all I could have been besides myself and all I got... I have a little bit of everything and a good disposition besides. I feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way it is. You know what happens next? She feels a book hit her right between the eyes. This girl has been sitting there listening to this conversation all this time and she just can't take it anymore. And she takes that book and she flings it and she hits Ruby Turpin right between the eyes and looks at her and says, pardon my language, go back to hell, you warthog. And they, (laughs) they tackle this girl and they take her away. And Ruby Turpin is haunted by that. And later in the evening, it's, it's, it's troubling and wonderful. Later in the evening, she goes for a long walk and says, God, what are you trying to tell me? I know, it's beautiful, I know that message is from you. What are you trying to tell me? And... She goes on, you know, I'm a respectable, hardworking, good person. I am church-going and church-giving. And God gives her a vision. She looks up, and as the sun is going down, she looks up into the sky. A visionary light settled on her eyes. She saw the streak of a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth through a living fire and upon it a vast horde of souls were rumbling toward heaven and shouting hallelujah and everybody that she had labeled and ranked 
and judged was going up, you know, going up before her. And she's bringing up the rear and she's very appropriate and she's singing in tune. And she gets it. She says, or Flannery O'Connor says, she could see all these people that were bringing up the rear. She could see on their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. What does that mean? What is Jesus trying to tell us? What is Flannery O'Connor echoing in this story? What is this all about? It's about being hit right between the eyes with grace. And you know what, Ruby Turpin and the rest of us, you know, who wants grace? Nobody. Ruby Turpin doesn't want grace, doesn't think she needs grace. She would rather compete and compare and earn. It takes grace to receive grace because we naturally don't want it. We'd rather compete and compare and work and earn and point fingers. And she's finally seeing the depths of sin and death and self-righteousness. And she has learned and seen by grace to repent of her sin and to repent of her righteousness. To repent of her self-righteousness. We cannot ever, by anything we do, somehow buy off God. He buys us with the blood of His Son. He buys us by grace when we're dead in sin. That should drive all of us to our knees in gratefulness and thankfulness and peace and rest. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would repent of our righteousness. We would repent of our self-righteousness. We would repent of labeling and ranking. We We would get hit between the eyes with grace. And recognize the the reality of our need. And what would result would be humility and service and mercy and kindness. And, And death to self. Lord, we pray that we would love the gospel. We would love the good news. We would... We would live it and we would tell it. And we would be awed. And never stop being awed by what Jesus Christ has done for us. And how we didn't want it and we don't deserve it. But it gives us eternal life.
and brings us into living, life-changing relationship with You. Oh Lord, I pray that if someone this morning doesn't know that or have that, I pray that just like the master in the story, you would go and get that person. You would go and call that person. And you would keep coming back and getting more. And getting more and getting more. We thank you for the grace that comes only through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen.